Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all. This is the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I am your host, Robert Rogers. We have just concluded a spectacular Parkinson's Recovery Summit in Santa Fe, New Mexico, just several weeks ago. By all accounts, everyone reported that their expectations were exceeded 100-fold. I have received dozens and dozens and dozens of inquiries both before the summit launched, during the summit, and now during these several weeks after from individuals interested in viewing videos of the presentation. Because of that high demand, I have devoted considerable expense and quite a bit of time to get the individuals involved who can mount up the capability of showing these long one-and-a-half-hour presentations on a website. It is a large undertaking. It is very costly, but I've decided it's well worth it. We have 20 incredible presentations at the summit, and, of course, even the individuals who attended the summit were only able to typically see one, not both, presentations that were concurrently running. Those Videos will be announced soon. They're not up and running yet because of the time involved of uploading and editing and preparing them uh, for you to be able to see. There will be some cost involved since uh, the cost of being able to literally even access these is considerable. Uh, We're figuring that out now, and we will soon have an exciting announcement so that you, if you're interested, will be able to see everything that was presented at the 2013 Parkinson's Recovery Summit that just concluded in Santa Fe, New Mexico with 18 incredible presentations by individuals who were talking about what it takes to reverse the symptoms of Parkinson's. Some of the presenters were individuals who not only reversed them but are now symptom-free. The presentations are, I must say, having now seen many of them on the videos, truly spectacular. Many of you are listening today because you're interested in knowing a little bit more about how you can tame your own gremlin. Hang on to your seats. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. My very special guest today is Rick Carson, who also has another very special guest for us to be able to hear from, Debbie. For over 35 years, Rick Carson has been a counselor, personal, and executive coach and trainer for mental health professionals, businesses, and nonprofit organizations. His seminal work which many of you have likely heard about, entitled Taming Your Gremlin, has had a remarkable track record. Translated into several languages, Taming Your Gremlin has been a consistent seller since, and get this, 1984. Given his international reputation, Rick has worked extensively with many, many different individuals, not just healthcare professionals, but individuals who have one particular challenge or another in their life. And he's also worked with individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Rick, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure, and it's certainly a pleasure to introduce someone who I brought along, uh, which is a woman named Debbie Eager, who has uh, 
Actually, De- Debbie was diagnosed with Parkinson's a while back. She can tell you about all she's been through with that. But uh, Debbie is, uh, besides the fact she's a, a physically beautiful and wonderfully present human being, uh, is an artist in her own right and uh, has always been extremely self-sufficient and uh, well-respected by her peers and just uh, cut a pretty wide trail. So for her to have to go through all she's gone through regarding Parkinson's has been a real struggle, and uh, she's done marvelously with it. And I'm really proud to say that uh, because Debbie's told me this, and I'm really aware of it, she and I have worked together for a long time. She's been a client of mine for a long time. I'm proud to say Debbie's used the gremlin taming method to help her not just cope with Parkinson's, because we want more than coping, uh, but to really continue to lead a really, really wonderful life in spite of pretty tremendous odds. And so I know part of what Debbie wants to do is be able to tell people some of what what she's learned and how she's applied what she's learned because it's really helped her. So it's a real honor for me to introduce Debbie. Well, Debbie, so. thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Rick, the audience might want to hear a little bit about who you are first, and then we'll get the full story from Debbie. Well, I've been in practice for, this is actually my 41st year as a uh, psychotherapist, marriage and family therapist, counselor and consultant to people, uh, trained therapist, and uh, executive and personal coaches all over the world, Uh, and, uh, you know, as you said, wrote the original work, Taming Your Gremlin, which is a HarperCollins publication, uh, gosh, in 84. Uh, and, you know, as a result of the consistent sales of Taming Your Gremlin, which is in uh, 10 languages now, they asked me to do a revised edition, which I did, and now there is a, a, a book called a, a Masterclass in Gremlin Taming, which HarperCollins also published. So, so my work is in uh, is you know with individuals, but also a lot of training of therapists and psychotherapists and coaches and things like that. And that's what I do, and I'll be glad to answer any questions people have. Or, uh, you know, if somebody has a particular issue that they want to present, I'll be glad to help them. Well, thank you, Rick. That's a wonderful contribution to the world community of individuals who are looking for answers. Well, thank you. So, Debbie, you've worked with Rick now for quite a while. Tell us all about your experience. Well, I first became familiar with Rick from the book and was so intrigued by it. I searched him down and lucky that I was that he was here in Dallas and started working with him. This was long before the Parkinson's came up and just started using the gremlin tangy methods to enrich my life in general. When was that, Debbie? Do you remember? You know, I don't, Rick. It's been so I many years. I bet it years. was 20 years ago when I first I bet it. it was. I bet it was easily. Yeah. Huh. So, uh, and then I, after the Parkinson's diagnosis, I, my husband and I went back to him because I was concerned about him as a caregiver. I wanted to make sure that he had an outlet for his and his frustrations. 
and he hasn't really needed it, and then I discovered I needed it instead. And uh, let's see, Parkinson's, I was I started to experience symptoms in about 2001, wasn't actually diagnosed until 2005, and then in 2011, I actually had DBS surgery. I'm what uh, our doctor considers kind of a fragile patient as far as medications are concerned, not fragile personality or anything like that, because I was, I had Parkinson's and I was still taking spin classes and doing my artwork and doing yoga, doing something basically seven days a week as far as exercise. And then the medicine just, I was getting to such a high dosage that I started having reactions, a lot of pain, that sort of thing, and suddenly I couldn't do the things I used to be able to do and was kind of at a loss for finding myself again for who, what Parkinson's I felt like was taken away from me, which I don't feel that way anymore, but at the time I was feeling very lost and very much like a actor on a stage without a script. It's like, who am I and what am I and what has this done to me? And I, As a result of the DBS surgery, I actually went through a depression that... Uh, I wasn't prepared for because I'd never had depression before. And uh, so I started working with Rick and re re reacquainting myself with his technique for gremlin taming. And I have to admit, it's been a wonderful result. I think I've, I'm better than I was before emotionally, even before the Parkinson's. Debbie, talk a little bit about the, the feelings of loss because there have been so much that you've gone through in terms of... Uh, yeah. Well, well yeah. Let, me, let me comment just very briefly. You know, somebody who was as just successful and, and uh, highly functioning as Debbie, to feel like she lost so much of what she identified with, so much of her identity, and I know a lot of Parkinson's people go go through this, but but I, Debbie, I'd really like for you to elaborate on some of the just feelings of loss and what went away for you. Yeah, I did. So much of my identity was tied up in being an artist and in being such a positive person and a role model for people that when I kind of fell apart and suddenly couldn't do stuff and couldn't live up to what I perceived their perceptions of me to be, I felt a great, a huge loss. It's like, who am I? I felt very much like I didn't know who I was, or what my purpose was anymore. I, like I said, I was so, de I had so defined myself, by my artwork, and my, even for a while as a successful Parkinson's patient, which I considered myself to be, which was somebody who was living with it successfully and not letting it hold her back, and then suddenly to fall off that bandwagon and feel like I had disappointed everybody, I had no identity. Like I said, it was very much like an actor on a stage without a script, and I didn't even know what part I was supposed to play anymore. Yeah, Robert, if I may add, part of what was, was interesting with Debbie and really hard for her was not just that she lost some of the you know ability to make that kind of art she was making, for example, because of the 
just the shaking and not as the, you know the the kind of small muscle control she had. Uh, and not only did she not have the concentration she used to have, but even the desire began to really, really wane. You know. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of what led her into her depression, I think. Is uh, so. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of the people listening can identify. Or who? who, who yes. <laughs> it's a rough road to hoe. So. Well, the good news is that the depression has lifted, it sounds like. Yeah, it's, Rick and I have worked really hard on that, or not worked, played played at options. And it yeah. just, it's between, I do encourage anybody who has TBS to, DBS surgery to check it out thoroughly and make sure they're aware of all the, what goes on because I think part of the depression was from some of the settings that we had originally and that sort of thing. But Rick and I were able to work through it together. And yeah. I, like I said, life couldn't be more positive at this point. I mean, I've learned that I found a peace a piece inside of me of where I am today and who knows where I'll be tomorrow, but I know the peace won't go away. It definitely won't go away. It's in there to stay. One of the things that, uh, and it's really the main event in terms of what Debbie and I have worked on and part of the, really what the Gremlin Taming Method is about, is it's really not about the Gremlin in the same way that, you know, the Gremlin being the monster of the mind that's out to, uh, taunt you with fears and take you into low-down funks and anxious fits and mire you in regret and negative thoughts. That's that. Your gremlin's out to basically eat your lunch, and when it's got something to work with like Parkinson's, it's really going to kick up a lot of dust. But the gremlin taming method is not really about the gremlin in the same way that... Uh, a beautiful sculpture is not about the stone that ends up on the floor. The Gremlin Timing Method is about helping people get in touch with the most natural state there is, which is a state of peace. It's the one feeling that doesn't have to be created. It's already right. in there. It's already in there. And, and so as, you know, people have to deal with whatever comes up, such as Parkinson's or somebody blaring a horn at you or you know, a tragedy in your life of any sort. But once we remove how we're contributing to our own angst from our skin in, our part of that, what's left is a feeling of peace. You still have to deal with the circumstances. But that feeling of peace can be tapped into, and that's what's really what I'm most proud of about the Gremlin Timing Method is that that's how it works. But in lonely work, if the person who's Practicing it takes the time to study the method, understand it as Debbie has, and then above all else, I said practice it. I mean really practice it. Yeah, breath, it is breath, simple breath. but not easy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I can't, I can't emphasize that more. It is very simple, but it's not always easy. I didn't always want to do it. I realized that instead of finding my confidence from without in the eyes of someone else that the confidence had to come from within me so it was a total change in perspective and when you own it rather than borrow it or look for it outside of yourself you really own it and it won't go away 
We'll learn more about gremlin taming from Rick and Debbie after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers, your host, and this is the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. After now six long years of research investigating the factors that cause the neurological symptoms that are associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, I've drawn the conclusion, as you probably have also drawn, that stress is a key and instrumental factor in provoking the symptoms. Hundreds and hundreds of people have told me time and time again that when they're stressed, the symptoms flare, and when they're not stressed, it's really difficult for them to even realize they have any symptoms whatsoever. As a result of that realization, I launched an investigation into how I personally could become more mindful. When I scanned the research, it looked like mindfulness was one of the gateways and doorways to being able to reduce stress in the moment. My work consisted of and still consists of inventing a challenge that is a mindfulness challenge each and every week. I took on the challenge myself. I then did some interpretation of the deeper meaning behind the challenge, and if I found it to be useful for me personally, I enfolded that particular challenge into a Parkinson's Recovery Mindfulness Program so others could also launch the same journey that I was on. If you'd like to be able to find out more about mindfulness and the usefulness of being in the present rather than agonizing over the past or anticipating the future, visit the website where I discuss how I have found it to be possible moment to moment to be more present in the moment. That website is www.stress.parkinsonsrecovery.com. All of it, of course, is organized and thought from the perspective of individuals who currently experience neurological challenges. So, Debbie, you've mentioned quite a bit about gremlin teaming. That's going to be a strange kind of a concept for many individuals. <laughs> it's apparently something you have to do all the time. What does that involve exactly? Well, first of all, it's an awareness that he's even chatting at me is the first thing I had to learn. And that was through simply noticing his voice. And actually, I gave him, in Rick's, through Rick's guidance, I can see him, I can hear him. He has characteristics that change daily or hourly, event by event. But by actually clearly being able to define him and who he is and what he is and how he operates, it gives me a little bit of ability to separate myself from his chattering, from the messages that he's sending me. That may sound a little odd. So, Rick, you might want to give some input on exactly what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, oh, sure, I'll be glad to. As somebody becomes aware, as Debbie became aware, let's say, of all that chatter in her head, you know, you start becoming aware of... uh, your own concepts, your own beliefs that you've been attached to about who you are and about how the world works or about how you should be but aren't being, as you become aware of those things playing through your head, and this is the key, this is important, Robert, in the moment that they're playing through your head. That's where Debbie has really grown. In other words, insight 
I don't want to say it's cheap, but it comes easy. But awareness doesn't come so easy. And awareness right. has to do with really noticing that chatter at play in the moment that it's at play. It takes an extraordinary awareness. That's why we say it's simple but not easy. But as that awareness kicks into play, it pulls into play what I call the Zen theory of change, which simply stated is something like this. I free myself from all that stuff, not by trying to free myself, not by trying to be different, not by trying to keep a stiff upper lip. I free myself <clears throat> excuse me, by simply noticing how I am imprisoning myself in the very moment in which I am imprisoning myself. So it's in the same way, really, that you learn to walk and talk. You know, as you begin to notice, you, you know, when you learn to walk, you didn't know anything about kinesiology or physiology or anything. You just noticed that if you lean too far to the left, you bumped your head. So you start to straighten up. Well, that's how the Zen theory of change works. As you begin to really catch yourself in the act of jabbing your own thumb and your own eye, you start to notice that you're doing that, how you're contributing to your own angst. There's a natural correction that starts to take place. And the one that's observing that, the one within the, that, that's observing that, the observer, feels already at peace. As I said earlier, peace doesn't have to be created. It already exists within you. So when you quit causing the angst, you notice how that gremlin is contributing to that angst, and you, you see that you're really that gremlin jabbing your own thumb and your own eye. There's a natural correction that starts to occur, and that peace starts to emerge within. It's already inside there. But it's a little like breathing on a flame. As you begin to notice it, it begins to expand ever so slightly at first. It's subtle at first. But in, in, a, in a real tiny, tiny nutshell, that's how the method works. There's much more to it, but those are the keys. Well, for example, ahead. if we could take a situation that is going to be familiar to many listeners. Sure. An individual wakes up first thing in the morning they get out of bed very slowly and find that there's a significant challenge in actually even getting to the bathroom. The thought suddenly pops into their head, I'll probably be in a wheelchair by next week. Now, what do they do at this point? All right, let's, let's do this. Let's let Debbie comment first, and then I'll comment second, because it's exactly the kind of thing Debbie struggles with. First of all, I have to hear... Like you said, I could, the, the fear, the messages of fear, which I was pretty good at. And then I've got a choice about my awareness. I can continue to listen to the chatter and believe it. I continue, can continue to listen to the chatter and choose to not believe it and realize that there's no telling what tomorrow will bring. I can scare myself to death or I can just know that this is what today is, and who knows what tomorrow is going to be because no one can tell me. Because Parkinson's is very different for every person that experiences it. I've learned that much. And so then I, what I usually do is I turn down the volume like on the radio. I have different, Rick and I have come up with different techniques 
that worked for what worked for me might not work for someone else, but I turn down the volume or I tell them to just go sit in the corner. And it by by depersonalizing it and making my gremlin's voice rather than my voice, I get a sliver of awareness between the message and what I can choose to what messages I choose to listen to. Does that make any sense or am I right? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that sliver, we, we call it a sliver of light, makes all the difference in the world. Yes, Just to begin to get a sliver of light between who you really are on the inside and all of that chatter. And there's, as Debbie mentioned, there, there are several options to play with. Let's keep in mind the Gremlin Timing Method consists of three primary pieces. The first we've already covered, which is simply noticing. The awareness, really becoming aware of that chatter in the very moment that that chatter is playing through your head because that kicks into play that Zen theory of change. The second part of the method, and I don't like for people to skip to this part too quickly because the awareness alone is so powerful that many times it does the job. But the second part of the process is what Debbie's alluding to now, which is called playing with options. And I mean playing, not trying to change. Playing with options. So one option, Debbie didn't mention this one, but we've used this one some, is to actually accentuate the gremlin chatter. In other words, let's make it really big. Let's be that gremlin. You're going to scare the hell out of yourself and think, um, start imagining that you're going to be in a wheelchair, which really could happen. Well, let's really imagine it. Let's make it real big. You end up in a wheelchair and old and alone and in an alley and you get eaten by rats or whatever. Because <laughs> when you accentuate it, now this is just one option. Even if the content of what you're imagining is not absurd, in other words, I guess you could end up in a wheelchair. What will become absurd, what will become absurd every time is, my God, I'm spending precious breaths of my very own life sitting here making myself miserable, jabbing my own thumb in my own eye. And at that point, there's a natural correction that starts to occur because there's no benefit in it. There's a difference between constructive thought Like, what can I do? Is there something I can do here to avoid that? Maybe not. Maybe yes. I don't know. But there's a difference between constructive thought and ruminating. And ruminating involves going over and over and over and over the same fear time and time again, figuring nothing out. Constructive thought takes about two to five minutes. Ruminating can go on for days. So one option is to accentuate the obvious, because that leads to the point of absurdity. Another option, as Debbie mentioned, is to just change for change, is to just actually decide, I'm not going to do this to myself right now. We call that, many times Debbie and I have called it, just leaving the theater. You just decide, I'm just going to get out of my head, and I'm going to get back into the present moment which means back in touch with what's going on in my immediate surroundings or maybe back in touch with my breathing, my body. Another option, if you're going to be in your head thinking, tormenting yourself, as long as you're going to be in your head, which is like a multiplex theater, you might as well go to a decent channel. 
go to a go to a theater that's playing a nice movie. Change seats, you know, go somewhere else, go into a different theater. Um, so those are among the options you can play with. There are lots of options. But again, I would rather people, before they start playing with those options, firstly just simply notice what they're doing to themselves and take complete responsibility for it. Parkinson's is Parkinson's. It's, it's there. But what you do with that inside of yourself, you have an enormous number of options about. Same is true with any kind of horrific past experience. You know, Holocaust survivors I've worked with. Uh, when the bombings happened in Oklahoma, the bombing, uh, I went there that day. It's the same principle. I mean, we can scare ourselves to death a million times over. Yep, and, it's easy. And it's easy to, with Parkinson's to feel the loss. I, I've always been a very expressive person. I was scared to death that I was losing my ability to smile ability to have facial expressions, ability to talk and write and that sort of thing. Those were all big losses that I was scared of. And well, one of the things that, uh, and Debbie's given me full permission to talk about her on this call, so I'm going to, but one of the things that was uh, really kind of, you know, hard to witness at first, I know so hard for Debbie, she kept really trying so hard to work against what was going on with her physically. Yes. Instead of finding a balance between moving forward, you know, working against it to some extent, you got to gut up to some extent, but uh, also there are times when you surrender. There are times when you give in to, to what's true, when your body just simply needs to rest. You know, uh, and and finding that balance is, is a day-to-day, ongoing thing. And it's a balance Debbie still finds day-to-day, still practices with and has, has to play with because she's a go-getter. You know, let, Debbie's, I mean, her whole life has gotten a lot of strokes for and deserved strokes for uh, producing and producing beautiful things. Uh and, you know, is known for that. So uh, finding that balance between kind of making herself do something like make art or, or be what people wanted her to be or she thought they expected her to be instead of just listening to her body, uh, was a, it was a hard balance to find, and she struggles with that. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably one of the biggest pieces for me is finding... Like I said, the balance and the peace to just to I was fighting I was spending so much energy fighting the fact that what was happening to my body, and there is a certain amount of stuff that I still do as far as exercise and mental games and things like that, but it's it's a balance of also knowing that this is where I am today for right now and being at peace with that. The approach that you've created, Rick, is called gremlin taming, which suggests that we are, is it the case, always in a cage with our gremlins? Sometimes they're pretty nasty to us and sometimes not. That is, we never actually get rid of our gremlin? Well, that's a beautiful question. I'm really really glad you asked it. You don't tame your gremlin once and for all. I mean, that duality has been written about for thousands of, of years. But what is true, and this part is an absolute, 
positive guarantee is you can get so good at taming your gremlin on the spot, breath to breath, moment to moment, that it becomes damn near inconsequential, all of that chatter. Because as you begin to tame your gremlin, and again, as Debbie said, you've got to keep practicing. But as you practice, you become more and more in touch with that, that fundamental piece that I was describing. Now, that doesn't mean you won't be angry or sad or or joyful or sexual or whatever it happens to be. There's, there's emotion. But those emotions are the waves. Peace is the water. It underlies all of those emotions. And, and peace is the best word I could come up with. It's not, it doesn't circle it, the experience. But, uh, it, it, you know, contentment, I, I, I hesitate using that because people start picturing a big smile all the time. It's not that. It's a feeling of fulfillment, of satisfaction, that there's something really good happening on the inside. And it's not a philosophy. But to answer your question, Robert, you know, it's not like you send that gremlin scurrying away and then you're, you're free forever. But you can get to the point where when it comes up, even in tiny ways, it's nothing. You spot it immediately. And you spot it by virtue of how it feels in your body. What will happen is your breathing will get shallow. That will be followed by tension somewhere in your body, whatever your favorite place is. And then that will be accompanied, that tension will be accompanied by a very particular set of feelings. For instance, if you really start noticing, regret is a very particular kind of poison. Loss. Dwelling on loss is a very particular kind of poison that feels a little different than regret. Clinging to resentment is a different kind of poison. You start noticing those things, mostly in the center of your chest. As you, again, it begins with shallow breathing. Uh, self-criticism. Mine, Go ahead, Debbie. Yeah, Sorry. I was going to say, mine usually kind of, I think, I think I was telling you that today kind of feels like a, a sense of dread. Yes, you did. I remember. Powerful word. This is a dread. Kind of like a black cloud, and I could feel it just starting to... But the, the trick is, I feel it now before it's there. I feel it when it's just beginning to storm for me a little bit, and I can do something about it. Yeah, I thought that was a beautiful awareness. And to me, the word dread, I remember when you said it the other day, it's like, I mean, it's a perfect word to describe that experience, you know. But yeah, Debbie was saying how now she can, at the front end, she can feel that experience starting to happen. So she has options. She can accentuate it, you know, make it more. Oh, my God. And when you accentuate it, if any of your listeners decide to accentuate it, we want them to accentuate not just the thoughts, but the feeling, but only for about one minute. So you can accentuate it. Or you can just change for a change and say, I don't even want to mess with this right now. Or you can, you know, if you, I'm, sometimes this is overused, I think, but you can just go with the power of positive thinking and go into a whole other realm if you want to do that. So lots of options to play with. But you don't need to run from, from that feeling. You don't need to go charging away really fast. It's just a feeling, and it's a feeling that you're exacerbating 
you can catch yourself in the act of exacerbating it. We'll be right back with Rick Carson, author of Taming Your Gremlin and Debbie, after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. I am your host of the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. My guests today, again, are Rick Carson, author of Taming Your Gremlin, and Debbie Egger, who's talking about her own personal experience with gremlin taming. I personally have spent years and years in denial that I had any gremlin inside my mind. A few years ago, I decided to accept the reality that, yes, not only do I have that nasty gremlin, but everyone has a gremlin of their own character. And so I decided to get to know my gremlin a little bit better. The challenge that I confronted is that I tend to be a big-picture kind of a person, and so to really dig in and see what that gremlin was saying in terms of all of that talk inside my head, I decided to dissect my thoughts in the terms of the words that I actually used moment to moment and day in and day out. That turned out to be very useful and very instructional because I was able to identify a number of very specific words that I was using that actually was sabotaging my true intention. That work evolved into an actual book. It's called Language of Recovery. You can see more information about this particular book as it is specifically designed and directed toward persons who currently experience neurological challenges from the following website, www.languageofrecovery.us. That is the name of the book, .us. Know that you can also get access to all of the websites that Parkinson's Recovery maintains that has many, many, and might I say a multitude of free resources by going to the main website. And that main website is, as you might guess, parkinsonsrecovery.com. Debbie, I'm sure people are wondering some about any specific steps or tools that they can use given what you've learned from all of the work that you've done with Rick Carson. Any suggestions for folks? Well, Rick's book is rich with suggestions on things, but one of the ones that I like is, is four questions. When, I, when, when something bothers me, the first question is, what's so... And the second question is, so what? Then so what? Then what now? And it kind of helps me reassess where I am. It's like, what's real, what do I know that's really true about this? You know, okay, to use the, the wheelchair. I don't know that I'm going to end up in a wheelchair. I do know that it's a possibility. So what's the truth in the statement? The truth in the statement is I really don't know what's going to happen physically with me. On the journey. first question, the what so, has to do with separating fact from fantasy. What do you know for sure? Exactly. Okay. And then, then you ask yourself, so what? And it's like, Rick, you can explain it better than I can. But well, you take the catastrophic part of the your expectation, you know. So what if I end up in a wheelchair? So what if I do? Or basically, yes, what would happen? Then you ask yourself, well, if that happens, if I end up in a wheelchair, 
then so what? You ask yourself, so what again? Well, then I won't be able to uh, move around as well, and you go ahead and milk that fantasy for all it's worth. I won't be able to move around as well. My friends aren't going to enjoy being with me, so nobody's going to want to hang with me. My husband will probably abandon me. In other words, you're really accentuated, just as we were saying earlier. You get to the bottom line of your fear, and the bottom line inevitably will be abandonment, pain, and death. All right, so that's the second so what. You'll get down to that. What are you really afraid of? And then the last question, which is the only one that really matters, is what now? Given that that's my fear, what can I do? And sometimes the answer is uh, not much, and sometimes is, well, I could uh, quit worrying about it. Or sometimes it'll be, well, I need to take my medication. Or, I don't, you know, you come up with a, a plan right then. But any time you find yourself in a crisis, if you'll ask yourself, what's so? What's absolutely true? What do I know for sure? And then what if the worst part happens? So what? And then if that happens, so what? And then what now? What's the action to take? And it helps, so, yeah, yeah, it helps me clarify what I'm really afraid of. Yeah, and and to, ask, to and, also get the bottom line as to what you can do about it, if anything. Yeah. And if the answer is nothing, might as well let go of it. Exactly. No. Debbie, what you mentioned at the very beginning of this interview was that you really have to work at it. So it's not just a question of working with Rick over the course of an hour or so, leaving that and saying, well, I'm done, you know, this has all been fixed. It's really a question, it sounds like, of continuous monitoring and awareness. Am I right about that? Yes and no. Uh, Yes, it's a continuous, it's a breath-to-breath moment-to-moment thing, awareness. But I hate to make it sound like it's a rigid monitoring of how am I doing. It's not like how am I doing. It's just an awareness, a continual awareness of how I'm getting in my own way, things I can do. But it's totally about being in the here and now, in the moment, and being aware of, of exactly how I feel. Yeah, and Debbie said a key phrase, how you're getting in your own way. The uh, the title of the, really the original book, the one that's in all the languages I was mentioning to you, is, it, the title is Taming Your Gremlin, A Surprisingly Simple Method for Getting Out of Your Own Way. And that's, that's the title. That's really what it's about. Again, you can't, you can't always modify circumstance. But every experience you have in this life happens within the boundary defined by your skin. Events occur around you, many involve you, many even get to your body like Parkinson's. But what you do with those events happens inside of you, inside of your own head. And so the gremlin timing method is about how, it's a very specific method for how to stop contributing to your own angst. The circumstances are hell enough to deal with. You don't need to contribute to it. Well, but one thing you've alluded to, Robert, that I've really appreciated, you, you've used different words about it, but your questions have implied this, is 
that this is more than a philosophy. It's not a simple uh, be here now philosophy. This is a right. method. This is a discipline. It's a skill set. It's a it's a practice. It's a roadmap, and it's not just a certain way to think. It is it's a, it, it involves skills. So. You had asked me to mention, and I will, the the first book is called Taming Your Gremlin, a surprisingly simple method for getting out of your own way, and it's available in most bookstores or through Amazon. It's also on audio, uh, available through, you know, audible.com and iTunes and Barnes & Noble. Uh, The there are a few other books that I've written, but the sequel to Taming Your Gremlin is called A Master Class in Gremlin Taming, although I would recommend people read the first one first. And my website, if folks want more information, is, as you may have guessed, tamingyourgremlin.com. And could you spell that for people, Rick? T-A-M. I-N-G, T-A-M is in Mother I-N-G, taming like lion taming. The your is Y-O-U-R, instead of U-O-R, Y-O-U-R. And gremlin is G-R-E-M, as in Mother L-I-N, as in Nowheresville. Your audio, too, as I understand it, is you actually reading the book. Is that right, Rick? That's right, and it's uh, six hours. It's five CDs. It's six hours long. And the, I'll tell you the amazing thing, it's available. It's downloadable through Audible and all those other places I mentioned. But uh, it, it's also available as a five-CD set that the last time I looked, Amazon was selling for Ten dollars and I think eleven cents, something like that. And I was asking, yeah, I asked, uh, you know, Harper Collins, how how in the world can bookstores sell audio programs that cheap? And they said so many people are nowadays downloading that for bookstores to sell them, they have to sell them pretty cheaply. So it's a hell of a deal for people. Boy, it sure <laughs> is. Yeah. yeah. And Rick, I also want to say you have such a soothing and comforting presence and voice about you, which oh, many people nice. would they would love to listen rather than just read or maybe both at the same time. Well, thank you. I appreciate that for sure. And thank you for this opportunity. Robert. Well, it's my pleasure. And it also, to kind of summarize all that we've discovered about how we tame our own gremlins, it sounds like unlike other therapies that people with Parkinson's have discovered can really help reverse symptoms such as Tai Chi or Qigong or exercise, mm-hmm. where you have to set a very specific time, one or two or three times a week, and you know schedule in a block of time to do something very structured. It sounds like this is really not quite like that. You don't have to structure a very specific appointment with yourself to actually do something. Is that right? No, you do this uh, all the time. It becomes a a way of life. It in many ways is uh, a yoga of life, (laughs) you know. I've gotten a couple letters recently from two two different parts of the country from Buddhist uh, priests who were saying that one said it made uh, meditation a living experience for a student. She was also a yoga teacher. And the other fellow was is really wanting me to do some work with his schools in New York with this because it's a yes, 
to answer your question, you do it all the time, but it's completely consistent with yoga and Tai Chi and uh, all of that. I really heartily recommend those things for people. Rick, if people need to get or want to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? They can go through the Contact Us uh, portion of the web page, or they may give me a call, 1-800-253-9269. I have a final question for each of you. Some of the listeners to this particular show would have just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease over the last several weeks. What would you want to say to them right now? That's yours, Debbie. Don't define yourself by the diagnosis. That's uh, beautiful. I, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. I don't even like to say I have Parkinson's. I say I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's, but it doesn't define me. I'm still me. I'm not my, I'm not my body. I'm not my physical attributes. I'm not an artist. I am me. I'm Debbie. Say again, I'm still me. Pardon? Say again, I'm still me. I'm still me, yes, exactly. In fact, I'm a better me than I was before, to tell you the truth, in spite of the physical limitations that I find. But you don't know what Parkinson's going to bring you, so don't define yourself by somebody else's standards or somebody else's definition of what Parkinson's is or isn't. You know, Stay in touch with who you are. On the inside, you're you're not that body. You're not your body. You're not your personality. You're not your thoughts. There's something much deeper inside going on. We call it heart of hearts or peace. That thing that was in there before you got your... Sorry? That little spark inside you that's really the real you. That's right. And that's what Gremlin Timing's all about. <laughs> well, on behalf of the many listeners of the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show, I want to thank each of you for taking the time to explain to us an approach that's obviously having a huge, huge impact. Well, I really appreciate it. I know Debbie does, too. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, guys. Okay. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. If you haven't heard, I have just finished a revision of Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. You can catch a listing of the table of contents and more information about this work that has really consumed my time over the last six years from the website entitled www.parkinsonsdisease.me, a website that's easy to remember. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today, that indeed you are on the road to recovery. May you have a magnificent week. Good day.